This is the fourth week of Lent. We hear from two women who both stood nearby and watched events unfold before them. Feelings of powerlessness rendered them unable or unwilling to speak out on behalf of Jesus. Even though he barely crossed their paths, they knew who he was. And they seemed to know he was special. Imagine these encounters with Jesus. One fictitious taking place at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the other real found in Mark's gospel taking place at the fire with Peter. Consider how easy it is to get caught up in the emotions of a situation and either be emboldened to act or paralyzed into inaction. Both actions and inaction have consequences. They create outcomes in any given situation. So tonight we'll consider that. Our inaction on behalf of our Lord our action on behalf of his Lord, how crowds can stir us up, societies can stir us up, our faith community can stir us up. All those things are swirled tonight. Prayerfully consider. May your presence surround and fill us so that in union with all creation, we might sing your praise and your love in our lives. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In the first reading tonight, St. Matthew gives his account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. These Bible verses describe the obedience of the disciples who fulfilled Jesus' wishes on that day. They found the animals he requested and placed their master upon them for a ride into town as if he was the grand marshal of a large parade. The crowd responds with the spreading of their cloaks on the ground while others lay palm branches to make a covering for the road. Shouting is heard from all around. Hosanna! Hosanna! Pilgrims shout to one another. This is the Son of David, Jesus of Galilee. It would not be long before these shouts of joy and praise would turn into shouts of anger and revenge. Emotions ride high in both moments as people are swept up in a collective spirit. First reading from Matthew chapter 21. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, the crowds that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of the Lord. I was there, you know. It was such a joyous occasion. My son got some, cut, some, cut some palm branches off one of the trees lining the road, and we spread them out before him as he came from toward Jerusalem. It was easy to get caught up in the emotion. The crowds gathered quickly at the news that the Nazarene was coming. 
and we had all heard all about him. He was reported to have performed many great miracles, to have raised a little girl and a man from the dead. This must have been the Messiah that the priest kept telling us that was coming. The whole city stirred. Almost 100,000 people were there shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Messiah, born of the line of David. I don't know what happened. It all seems so strange. He was only here in Jerusalem a few days, and everything changed. Several days after the parade, I was home, waking up my that she had seen Jesus bring life. Anyway, she grabbed me and told me the news. Jesus had been arrested and was appearing in Pilate's palace even as we spoke. A thousand thoughts were rushing through my head as we ran through the streets to the palace. As we entered the courtyard, I frantically looked around. I finally saw him. He was up on the balcony, and the crowd seemed angry. Everybody was shouting to crucify the Nazarene and to release another prisoner instead. He must not have been the Messiah I thought he was. I guess that's why I joined in the shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Well, the crowd was getting out of control, and I couldn't find Lydia anywhere. We had gotten separated somehow, and... Since I was near the back of the courtyard, I slipped out and headed home. I needed to get back to my children, but it was all so strange. I stopped and leaned against the wall. Nothing seemed to make sense anymore. My head was spinning. I knew of the miracles Jesus had performed, and I really believed that my cousin had seen him raise her master's daughter from the dead. I had even watched this Jesus and had seen some of the wonderful things he did and said. I don't know why I turned against him in the palace. Nothing seemed to make any sense. And now I stand here, watching him up on the cross. It is my fault now that he's up there. I didn't mean to do it, Jesus. I didn't mean! In the second reading for tonight from Mark, he recalls a story of a servant girl who approaches Peter after Jesus is arrested and taken away. Peter is no doubt feeling confused and upset with himself for failing to stand by his Lord. The young woman's questioning seems to drive him to despair. She inquires of him whether he was with Jesus the Nazarene. He denies knowing what she is even referring to. Again, she accuses him of of knowing Jesus, but Peter denies her words once more. A third time, she challenges his word. And this time, he becomes so upset that he swears that he has no knowledge of the man she is speaking about. In that moment, a rooster crows for the second time, reminding Peter of Jesus' prediction of his betrayal. Peter is left weeping at the recollection. The reading is from Mark chapter 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, 
You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. He broke down and he wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was a servant of the high priest in Jerusalem. I might have been nothing more than a servant, but because of my master, I had status and I had power. And let me tell you, the night that Jesus of Nazareth was arrested, I thought I could make a name for myself from what I saw. None of you would even remember me if it weren't for that night they arrested Jesus. I thought I could move up just a bit in status. Honestly, I had no idea at the time I would be remembered for that night. I knew from the high priest that they really wanted to get rid of Jesus, and now they had him in their courts. The tone was such that they really were out to eliminate everything about him, which included his disciples, too. Sure, I'd heard stories of Jesus. He sounded like a great person. I mean, with all the healings and things. But I didn't know him, and he had never done anything for me. They say he was the son of God. But what was that to me? What good would that do me? All I knew was that I was a servant, and the people to whom I answered wanted this Jesus out of the picture. So when one of his disciples showed up at the fire we had going outside the courts of the high priest, I was sure they would treat me well if I handed over another one to them. Aren't you one of them, I said? You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Of course he denied it. I shouldn't have said anything to him. I should have just gone and gotten the temple guards who would have arrested him on the spot. At least I think they would have. Although, well, a part of me wanted to know more about Jesus. And in a way, I had hoped that he was one of the disciples. I guess that even if he was a disciple, and even if they did arrest him too, I probably wouldn't have gained anything by being the one who turned him in. I guess I always knew that to be a case. After all, I am nothing but a servant girl, and will probably always be nothing more than that. All of the things that I have heard about Jesus, I wonder if they are true. If they are, I wonder why our leaders want him dead. I wonder if he would have helped me, too, like they say they helped, that he helped so many others. I think they have arrested him for the wrong reasons.
There we go. First one was a crowd. There was probably about 80,000 people living in Jerusalem at any given time of the year. Passover, up to 10 times that number. There was estimates six to 10 times. So a million people goes from 80,000 to almost a million. That's a lot of people. Have you ever been in a place where there's been a crowd of over 100,000 people? How many people does the Arkansas football field have to hold? I guess. How much? About 70. Another 30,000. Imagine 30,000 people crowding and lining an entrance. Um, That's a lot of people. And you can kind of get kind of caught up with crowds. I know that people, when they sometimes they hear of things about there's marches or there's parades or there's, you know, places where you might be students typically are awesome, high energy, high enthusiastic, and they just want to go. They, they have energy and they want to apply it somewhere. And so they apply it. Sometimes it's not always in the best directions, but they apply it. But the crowds have an effect on us. Um, so that crowd started off with Jesus coming and they were shouting with hope that he be the one. I've got to let you know that just about this time every year there was somebody. This wasn't the only one. They always were thinking that a Messiah was going to come. There were many saying that he was going to be the Messiah. Many people that were trying to take that role politically and be the one that would set them free. So this wasn't the only procession. They were kind of used to this potentially. It's unique to us because he rides in and everybody's shouting, this is the one. Hail, this is finally the one. In the back of their minds are wondering, yeah, yeah, we're going to see what happens next. So where's, where's the legitimacy of the crowd? But in that moment, they have enthusiasm. This will be the one that will remove the Roman, occupier, Roman occupation and will restore God's kingdom in the right way. So they did have hope. So to be in a place of hope, high enthusiasm, thinking about a parade, and as soon as the parade grows, it passes, and it's all over. The very last one goes through, and everybody starts to go on your way. You're wondering, what just happened? Have you ever sat by a parade and said, wow, is it over? And, and now what? There's times in life when you get that. What just happened? Was it real? So this lady, she's experienced this parade. She's experienced this crowd, this enthusiasm, and then turn it just a couple of days later. Now she's in a crowd again, crucified crucify she joined that crowd too in that story uh, just for the sake of straight up conversations in that story she was both on the side saying this is my guy this is my champion he's going to set us free hosanna in the highest son of david a couple days later crucify how easy we can turn in crowds and societies and, and pressures around us Christians, not us. Stirs that up. Have you ever done that in your life? One day, been a part of one group and one thing, and then sometime not too much later said, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Did you go along with the crowd? Did you go along with the group of friends? Did you make some decisions that you knew weren't right, but you went along because you didn't have the courage to stand up to it? In some ways, probably all have. That's just growing up but we remember tonight so we can wage our spiritual war and says not me I'm a follower of Christ and I will not compromise I will not say hail to the son of David today and then say um, crucify him tomorrow it's challenging us to be grounded in who we are whose we are and what we believe and not compromise regardless of what the crowds and the societies around us say right
Then the next one, the young lady in the courtyard. Um, do you think she had hope? When she is calling out Peter, why, what's, what's the reason you'd call somebody out? What's some of the motives? If you see someone that's not doing something right or whatever, why do you call them out? Do you ever call someone out? Get them in trouble. Yeah, better than me. I remember in school, if someone else is in trouble, that means I was off the hook because at least they had the focus and I could get away with something potentially, right? I mean, some of it's just that. Better they're in trouble than me. Um, but what's the motive for that? I mean, there's different motives. I've done it. I mean, we've all done it. Why would we want to call out somebody? What would be the motives for that? You might self-preservation. What else would be a reason? Someone breaks into the house next door and you report that the name of the car, the, the license plate of the car, what might you get in response for that? There might be a reward, right? So there's, there's, there might be different motivations why you'd expose somebody like that. But in this case, with this girl and that grown man, Peter was a grown man, father, children, family, why would this girl risk calling him out? What do you think? There might be one more reason. She hinted at it in her message. What's that? Maybe draw attention to herself is one, yes. What's the, maybe she wanted to know more. So in that place, Peter had the cho- chance. Here's a young one says, you were with him. I know you were with him. And he could have said, yes, I was. And let me tell you about him. Man, Lazarus was this rotting corpse and he raised him after four days and he calmed the storm and he, he touched this person. He did this. He could have gone on and on for an hour saying to this girl who was curious about Jesus's friends and Jesus himself, he could have let loose with the truth. He didn't. Self-preservation. He's just like us. We go along with things in our society, in our work, in our lives, our friends, all kinds of aspects of our lives. Where Jesus was with us, we might behave differently. We might prioritize our lives a little bit differently, might. Where we spend our time, when we spend our money, how we answer people. If Jesus is standing next to us, we might say something different, but maybe not if he's so far away. So whatever we notice about Peter... These things tonight with the girl and the, the woman who was a witness and the crowds and this whole thing, it's not so much to point fingers. It's to stir it up and have us think about it. How am I like that? How am I a part of a crowd here and then part of this crowd there? What does that reflect in my values? How am I seeking something and someone does not follow through with giving me the truth? How am someone seeking Jesus through me and I'm not following through and giving them the truth? We're all connected. We are collectively in the same space together. Tonight's to stir up those things. And of all the things we've been holding on to the last, two to, last uh, you know, 10, 11 months together, we're here to know Jesus, know him. And when you know someone well, you will not betray them. You'll not put them second in your life. You will not neglect them, deny them, reject them, abuse them. If you know them and you love them, you are for them. To know who Jesus is. That second piece, make him known. When the world sees you, let them see Jesus. You're baptized in his spirit. You received God. You are temples for our Holy Spirit. Be that. Be his people. 
This is a great season to practice it. 